Welcome to the Ultradent Products Podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Shannon Griffin. Dr. Griffin is a general dentist in private practice, a part-time clinical instructor at the University of Oklahoma College of Dentistry, and a regular guest lecturer at the Tufts University School of Dental Medicine. She is also a Jameson coach and speaker and coaches all dental teams, but often coordinates projects for the Jameson launch program designed specifically for those starting a new practice from scratch. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Griffin. We're happy to have you here. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to be here. It's a wonderful opportunity, and I, I love Ultradent and what you do for our profession. Well, we were downstairs in the cafeteria having lunch today, and I heard Dr. Griffin talking about the things that make a good dentist great. And it seemed like you got a lot of feedback from other dentists who are here at the conference. Can you share with us some of the things that you guys collectively decided? Yes, and thank you for the opportunity. It seems across the board that things that make a good dentist great really go down to service and the service that the dentists provide for their patients. Several aspects really shine through in the successful and happy doctors that I was able to, to speak with. And most of those went back to communication and how they felt about their team. So I think, of course, technical skills and increasing technical skills is very important. But I also feel like for the patients to feel like they're getting great service, they have to, there's something else. There's something intangible, and it's not all about the dentistry. That's true. And and I heard Dr. Retzer telling you that continuing education, talking about skills, continuing education helps not only with the skills, but the people that you surround yourself with. Yes, and networking. And there's something about the conversation like you were enjoying this afternoon. Uh, There's something about dentists coming together and sharing notes and finding out that, you know what, it's not all great. We get out of dental school, we go to practice, and then we go and we go to meetings and we're not always truthful with each other about how it is in our practice and how difficult it is to provide excellent dentistry and run a team and pay the bills. So there's, it's multifaceted. Yeah, even that number that somebody threw out saying that overhead was less than 50% and you said, not true. The ADA right now is saying that overhead percentages in the United States are 70%. So it's expensive to run a practice. And that is taking, many of us as doctors have benefits that we run through our practice, and that's taking those those perks out. So the actual take-home dollar amount, or pennies on the dollar for a dentist, might be as little as 20 cents on the dollar. Mm -hmm. And, you know, many people in the dental industry don't realize that. So that can be very stressful, financing the financial aspect of running a, a business can be very stressful for a dentist. And part of making a good dentist great would probably be letting go of some of that stress, too, and realizing you're not alone and you are actually in what Dr. Retzer called the sweet spot there. Yes. Um, and not so far out of the game as you think. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd like to talk a little bit about something that I've seen with practices I've worked with numerous practices and numerous doctors coaching them in practice management. And one of the things that I have seen routinely is when you walk through the front door of a practice, you can get a sense for, is this a dental practice or is this a special place? Mm -hmm. And the doctors that work in the offices that you have that special place feeling when you walk in the door, those are the doctors that are in that sweet spot. And there's several things that I've seen with doctors that is consistent with those sweet spot doctors. And yeah, CE and being on top of technical skills is definitely part of it. But 
also the office is very clean. The patient education is all in place. Mm -hmm. The facility is immaculate, or at least close to immaculate. On a busy day, many dental offices, it's hard to keep them immaculate. They're, they're very polished, so it's that, it's that untouchable. What's most remarkable is once you get through the door and you see the facility and you see the outward appearance, you meet the people. And that's so important from a patient's perspective, I can tell you myself. As a patient, you don't have any idea what's going on in your mouth. Probably dental patients are the least educated on the services that they're paying for. I'm sure they have no idea. Even talking about working at Ultradent and the things that we manufacture just to my next door neighbor, they're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> they, they have no idea how many materials are required even to do one simple procedure. So they come in through the door and the things that are important are the facility and especially the people like you were saying. So how do you make sure that you have that perfect staff? Well, I think there's two primary aspects that we need to talk about. One of them is hiring. It's getting the right people. Jim Collins, in his book, Good to Great, talks about getting the right people on the bus. Mm -hmm. And it is so important. It takes one person to totally disrupt a, a nice team. So we get the right people on the bus, and sometimes Jim Collins goes on to say, we, have to get the, we may have the right people, but they're in the wrong seats on the mm -hmm. bus. So our personnel and our building our team, the blocks of our team, I think is critical. So we have to find those team members. So hiring is, is critical. Now, you have to have a system for hiring. You can't say to, I can't come to you and say, Melanie, you know what? Becky's getting married and her husband doesn't want her to work after August 2nd. And so I want you to go find an assistant to be here on August 3rd. Mm -hmm. You know, that's three weeks away. We can't expect to replace her on that day and run at full speed. Mm -hmm. And also the process of hiring takes longer than that. So... A, you need to have a system for hiring, and we can certainly talk about that. And you also, once you have that person, you have to have a system for training them, making sure they, f they fit on the team. So how do you go about recruiting? Recruiting, if we're looking for the right people, they don't always have to have the experience. Many doctors feel like they have to go and hire somebody, if, a dental assistant that has their chair-side experience, because we're afraid of that lost production. Mm -hmm. It's important in it that doctors know that the cost of losing a team member and replacing a team member, the cost of the bottom line in their practice is one full year of that person's salary. Wow. So it's costly to them. So if some if an dental assistant makes $30,000, the cost of losing an assistant and replacing her is just to the bottom line, $30,000. Wow. So it's expensive. So if we don't make wise choices, it's, it is more costly than it would be to take the time to hire the right person and bring them in. So the first thing we want to do is we want to identify what is it that we want. And typically it is a personality, and we want somebody that's driven. But we need to think about what does that person look like that comes in. Experience is great, and it's a bonus, but it's not always what it takes. Did you know much about dental materials before you came to Ultradent? I, I knew nothing. And, and you'll hear sometimes around Ultradent that it depends on the department, of course, but there are certain departments who really hire attitude and train the skill. Absolutely. I think that is so imperative for the success of dental practices. So we want to we look at what this person likes. In my office, we are very team-focused. And so we have engineered interviewing questions that are, are based around what our values are for our practice. Now, once we look at what type of, of candidate we want to interview, even come in and interview, we will advertise. So you want to write an ad that reflects your 
the mission of your practice, the treatment that you give to your patients. I talked about service, and I think service in the dental industry is very important. It's not all treatment because there is a service that we provide, Mm -hmm. and those doctors in the sweet spot know that. So you write an ad that reflects your practice. My practice, my partner and I, we have fun. Everything that we do is centered around a family environment, and we have to enjoy it. That's, That's our personality. Many doctors can't practice like that, and I can't practice in a very regimented practice. So my ad would, would include that. It would, you'd feel that. So we will place an ad, and we will, have, we will have a call for resumes to come in. And as resumes come in, somebody in my business team will call a person off the resume. And we don't look closely at resumes other than I don't like to see typos. Mm-hmm. Because if you present a typo... It's a lack of attention to detail. Lack of attention. And this early on, I probably don't want that because mm-hmm. we, we also are very fast-paced in our office. So that's our one screening component, but each doctor will have their own. So somebody in the business team will call them and invite them, the candidate in to fill a handwritten application form out. So from Office Depot, you can buy a, a stock one, or you can have a graphics designer design an application form, but you want a writing sample from that person. Also, when they make take the time to come in to fill out the written application. It says something. It does say something. They're committed to coming. Mm-hmm. And it gives the, the ladies in the, in the business team in my office a chance to see that person and talk to them. So it's kind of, if you will, a soft interview. Mm-hmm. The people on my team, work with, they work with each other more than they work with me. Unfortunately, I'm I'm in clinical, or I'm in hygiene, or I'm in the front. But they, the team, all bonds together. So that's a very important step. They come in, they fill out their application, and so their resume and their application becomes the start of their file, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. Now, at this point, the dental team decides who would be possible candidates that they feel like they could work with. So they present to me options, and they say there's three or four that we would like to interview to join the team. So at this point, I've had very little input, and this may take two to three weeks for that initial process. Then if we decide to interview somebody, they'll be invited into our office, and Karen and I will make sure they have a tour of the office at that time. We don't do it the first time. We make sure they have a tour of the office at that second appointment. We spend 10 or 15 minutes going over our designed interview forms, Mm And then when they, and we take notes, that's important for me to, to make it of that. Then when they leave, we work to narrow it down. Now, the interview questions that we have are very broad. There's, we have five questions and we have a form and we, we get right to it. When they come in, we tell them, thank you for coming back. I realize this is the second time you've had to come in and I appreciate it. This is very important. Our team selection is very important. And we say we have five questions that we do ask and we want to get these out of the way and then we can visit so we and we will be taking notes i've never had anybody say that they're uncomfortable with that and so we go through our five questions and then at the end we've we have more of a conversation we're careful of the employment laws in oklahoma and make sure that we're not you know saying are you married do you drink wine or or anything are you gonna have kids next year yeah (laughs) are you pregnant are you (laughs) yeah don't ask those things do you have a partner or husband? You know, yeah, yeah. There's lots of things that you cannot ask, so we are very cognizant of that in our conversations. But when they leave, and Karen and I have a chance to debrief, then if we feel like they're, they're really close to being a good fit, we try to get our interviewed people down to two. And the last stage is 
that person's invited back to get a lunch with our team. And I've never had anybody not find time to do it. If they really want to come work with our team, mm-hmm. they find time to come in for lunch. The whole team goes. Karen and I do not go. So I feel like if if somebody on my team wants to say something and be honest, I'm not there to hamper that right. because I don't want to have any surprises either. And then after that, we get together as a team and we make a, make the final decision. And what I love about your process, though I've never heard it until this moment, instantly <laughs> what hits me is that your staff must feel so much ownership in your practice by being able to give their input and sounds like they're a really big part of who decides the person that's hired. And it's kind of like from the Dale Carnegie books when it talks about people support a world that they help to create. Mm -hmm. So your staff helped choose this person and now they're invested in this person succeeding in the practice. And that's really smart on your part. Well, it's, it it is not seamless. Um, I will tell you that I've I have gone through the whole process just like this, and then we have a three-month probationary period, which mm-hmm. is fairly standard. Mm-hmm. Um, within that three months, we've known that we had the wrong person on the team and had to had to step back and say, this isn't a great fit. And when that has happened, that person's not happy either. So something we did miss something. It's happened once in 10 mm-hmm. years, but it did happen. And so I, I'm very careful to make sure I give myself room to not, yeah, this is not fail-proof. And we can always step back. And, and the other times, it's worked very well. My first employee that, of course, I didn't have a team to interview. But the first employee that I hired, I hired the day before I bought my demo building. And she's still there. So wow. the, my first hygienist I hired three months later, and she's still there. So they have been the core that has has carried through, and they've been involved in every step of it. So, yeah, it, I call these ladies. I work with my daytime family. And we really, this is our daytime home, mm-hmm. and that's how I feel about it. And that's why I think patients, prospective patients or sales representatives for maybe Alternate might walk in and go, wow, this is a great dental office. There's something different here. That's great. Talking about interview questions, I don't know if you work it the same way, but I'll share something that we do here at Ultradent. Um, when you talked about deciding the type of person that you want in your practice, here at Ultradent we'll decide okay, this person needs these skills or these personality traits. And let's say one of them was the ability to multitask. So you build your question around each quality that you're looking for and not, can you multitask? It it would be something like, tell me about a day in a specific situation where you had to multitask. And then even if we get, which sometimes happens, Uh, a woman who has been out of the workforce for the past 25 years because she was raising her children and now she's ready to re-enter and she may not have all the skills that are current, she can still come up with a day, even if it's not work-related, where she had to multitask. Well, there was this one day I had to get the dry cleaning in and I planned a party and I cooked dinner and I picked the kids up from school and goes through everything and she's able to qualify herself yes, I can multitask, here's how I did it, here's the list, and I put it in my day planner or whatever their tactic was. And so instead of just asking, can you do this, or do you prefer a team environment, or do you prefer to be kind of solitary, you know, it's really easy to fake your way through those questions, but if you have to give a scenario, it really helps screen people. One of the questions we like to ask potential candidates is, as a patient, what would be important to you if you came here? 
That's amazing. The varying answers, but they all come back to they want the, the quality of the dentistry to, to be good, and they want to be treated well. And the treated well, they want respect for the team. Right. And so, yeah, it's, it's open-ended, and that's, our, that's kind of our favorite question that we ask. That's a great we ask, question. We ask all of them. But when, we've asked questions about teams before. What's important to you about a mm-hmm. team? How can you, how can you provide, be a part of a team? And it's not open. You can stumble through it. Yeah. So, so once you have your team in place and you have the right people on the bus, um, hiring being so important. The second thing you really need to follow up with is communication. I don't want to discount the training because we have spoken of training before. Training is super important, but if you don't have appropriate communication skills. Between the doctor, the doctor's not excused from communicating. The sure. doctor and the team, the team to the team, and then, of course, the entire team, doctor and team, to, to the patients. Patient. So really making sure that you have the systems in place where you can effectively communicate in a positive manner. Then you can't take a practice from that place that we talked about to the one where it's the doctor in the zone or the zen doctor. Right. And it's important I think the most difficult part of communication is con- confrontation. And when things are stressful or uncomfortable, which is a lot of what drives dentists away from away. the practice mm-hmm. of dentistry. So I think what happens is we, we try to avoid com- confrontation so much that we internalize and we don't let problems work their way out. We don't find a solution for them where we can move beyond that and make the systems in the office better. Well, and, and it's so true in every aspect of life. And you find so often that somebody is really good in their personal life at communicating, but they haven't managed to bring that to work yet. Yes. Yes. And you have to, you have to seek. Some team members may come to your team and they've never felt like they were in an environment safe enough to, to actually communicate. And I, you know, I'd like to break the word confrontation down a little bit because, you know, Melanie, if I said confrontation to you, what does that mean? What do you you instantly think of negativity. Right, or fight. Right. And so that's a, it's a bad place to be. But if we look at the Latin root of the word confront, we have con, which means together, and front, which actually is face. Mm-hmm. So if we look at confrontation, it's, there's a problem. It's not you and I. There's a problem, and we want to step almost side by side so we can look at it together, so we can face it together. So if we can remove the you out of a lot of our conversations and focus on the something that's impersonal, which is usually a system in yeah. the office that's not working. We'll find that you have needs that are not being met by that system, and I probably have needs that aren't being met. And only then can we problem solve and move forward to a better place. And as long as nobody's pointing fingers, then everybody should feel safe to confront that problem as a team instead of c- confronting each other as individuals. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting, too, and working with teams, dental teams, and as they try to take their practice to a new place. The doctor may have a vision on what they want, but the most successful practices and the happiest doctors, the solutions on how to get there typically come from the team. Mm-hmm. So when they, we talked about sharing the vision, making sure you have the team that shares that vision with you. And then when they work together cohesively, most of the solutions or systems that you develop within your office to go in that direction don't come from the dentist. That's very relieving for a dentist to know that they don't have to do it all because many times we come out of school and we have to think we think that we have to do every aspect of running the practice and doing the HR and making sure we are technologically great and 
making sure that our technical skills are good and our lab. And if our lab's not going well, how do we communicate with the lab? Uh, it's and, too many specialties to expect out of one person. They have a degree for all of those things. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and that's it's very it's very enlightening to a dentist to realize that and get their team on board and really focus on communication skills so they can move forward. Another interesting thing I heard you talk about downstairs at lunch, and I'm so glad that we have these meetings where we can chat at lunch because it's so much fun to learn from each other. And one of the things that I heard you say is that dentists who are burned out or who are depressed or who don't like dentistry anymore probably have trouble paying their bills. Oftentimes I find that's it. And we, I spoke of the public perception, including our teams, that dentists are out making a, a ton of money. Mm-hmm. And that's not always true. And it's a, it's a psychological, many times dentists, we go to dental school and we have an expectation also. Mm-hmm. And you have to work very hard to do that. And if you don't have a team that supports you, you feel the burden of trying to keep the team together and be productive and do great dentistry. And those two things pull on you until you just you hate dentistry Mm. i've seen it too often so what would you recommend to any of our listeners who find themselves in this position well i'd recommend a vacation first (laughs) very important it may be in current times a staycation where you drive someplace but i'd have them look at really what is it that they want what are their goals because often the doctors that i meet with that are ready to leave dentistry if you ask them what they want it's they can focus very easily on what they don't want. They don't want to do mess with their team anymore. They don't want to mess with the lab anymore. They don't want to have to borrow money for taxes because we, we haven't planned well. Mm-hmm. They don't want to work for another 20 years. So I would encourage any doctor to sit down and say, okay, what is it that I want? So turn that quickly. I want to, I want to be able to provide well for my family. I want to do dentistry the way I want to do it, not the way somebody else wants to do it, or the way that the pocketbook is making, dictating I do mm-hmm. it. So once they set their goals, then I would I would share that with any dental team because often a, an unhappy doctor, they're disconnected from their team, and you can't move forward until those two are united. So if a doctor can identify what he wants and he can share that with his dental team, then he can start to find out who who is on for this journey and who's not because there will be changes made mm-hmm. once a doctor identifies that they're unhappy but they feel like they still they can find a happy place in dentistry and what they want or what they need to do that and if they can find at least one or two people on their team or maybe there's a they have to change their team in their dental environment but you have to have that team to move forward and do that so then you know at that point you look at what it will take to change the environment that they're in but yeah I see burnout we had a discussion over at lunch we talked to somebody said the, the typical burnout age is about 45 and I said yeah maybe because I think there's a high expectation and there's more and more opportunities for young dentists to get out of dental school and go be offered 150 or 170,000 plus bonuses and and every kind of perk under the sun mm-hmm. but they're doing very difficult dentistry oftentimes they're using labs and they're cementing things that they they're uncomfortable cementing, which mm-hmm. affects somebody's psyche. If you're doing something you know really isn't as good as you can do it, it takes you down. So I'm seeing, I've been with the University of Oklahoma for 12 years now, and I'm seeing recent graduates that are burned out of dentistry. Mm. They may have had a nice paycheck for several years, but they're not practicing the way they thought they would practice. So they, they're making the paycheck, 
but their their whole psyche is off. So There's I don't more to it than just money. That's yeah, for sure. Absolutely. The good news is there are a lot of coaches out there that can help somebody. And dentistry is a wonderful field. I wouldn't be able to come here and, and say dentistry is fun if I didn't truly believe I'm passionate about the fact that dentistry is fun and it, it is profitable. And you can have rewarding experiences with your patients. So <laughs> if any of our listeners want to contact you and get further tips, do you have an email address that you're willing to give out? Oh, absolutely. It's Shannon <laughs> at griffinreed.com. So it's G-R-I-F-F-I-N-R-E-E-D.com. Great. Thank you for your time today. No, thank you. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. For a full archive of our podcast, please visit podcast.ultradent.com. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions for an upcoming podcast, please call us at 800-268-9010.